0: Simply getting out of bed, getting to the bathroom for a shower, getting to the train station, getting to work. It was like the equivalent of Scaling Mount Everest.
1: I'm Jason.
2: And I'm Maddie,
1: And this is Making Sense of Chaos.
2: A podcast about death and dying, love, grief and hope.
1: On our show, we talk to all kinds of people who, through various trajectories, have found themselves trying to explain the unexplainable,
2: trying to accept the unacceptable,
1: trying to make sense of chaos.
2: Welcome, Dave, to the podcast. Thanks,
0: Maddie, Jace.
2: Yeah, thanks for coming on. So, I guess, um, well, firstly, who are you?
0: Oh, that's a very good question. Sixty-three-year-old <laughs> um, bloke um, with an incredibly normal sort of life on one hand, and um, married, um, kids, that all—all all of that sort of stuff. So, in one hand, really very normal sort of person. And on the other hand, I've lived, I'd say, most of my adulthood with a, um, a really interesting mental illness known as bipolar 1.
2: And when did you get diagnosed with bipolar?
0: Well, it, it's kind of weird because when I was about in my late 20s, I went and saw a psychiatrist because I had really, really bad um, black moods. And I went and saw a psychiatrist and I was really, really disillusioned with it. I felt like, um, uh, I, I th- sort of felt it was he was really patronising, but in fairness, it was probably really hard for him too because he's an older bloke, I'm a younger guy. I really sort of felt threatened with it all. Yeah. And so I left there that day and I thought, as only a stupid young bloke could do, um, oh, look, I look, I'm better off handling my own mental health issues. And so I didn't, what I should have done, I should have gone and seen another psychiatrist like, week or a month later Um, and I didn't I waited about 25 years and I finally saw a psychiatrist about 15 years ago that I really loved like really good like and I was finally diagnosed then so hell not till I was about 48.
2: Mm. Well so to someone listening who has no idea what bipolar is how would you describe it?
0: Okay well It's it's a little bit like a roller coaster. Uh, You have really bad depressions, and then and this is primarily when I was a bit younger because I'm really well medicated now, so I don't do what's called cycling, which means going up and down. But you can be really, really depressed, and then I'll pop out of depression, and occasionally you start to feel good, and then you start to feel really good, and then you start to feel a bit. Too good, and the best way to describe it it's like it's like you hear a roar of jet engines in your um, your ears and a countdown in your head, and you just take off like a Saturn V rocket you just take off you've got most amazing energy like during big manic episodes, I could get up at three o'clock in the morning feeling as fit as a fiddle like really, really full of energy um, just. I wrote, a, I wrote a book while I was holding down a really um, high pressure job in about two months. I, it, I thought it was a real work of genius. What
2: kind of book did
0: you write? Uh, a crazy book, quite honestly. It was. It's really hard to describe. It, I read it again last uh, last year, and it's got some interesting things in it, but it's kind of crazy. It was like people often people who go have psychotic episodes or, or they're manic will often um do things that they think they're doing for the good of the world and and this was like a bit of a it was kind of like a self help guidebook for people to for a better world and that's about as as much as I can describe it without you actually reading it which i wouldn't wouldn't recommend um, but yeah so you get these amazing energy you're really, really confident um, and you're just full and buzzing of ideas. Some of them are probably just absolutely ludicrous. You lose a lot of, um, uh, like you can be um, spendthrift, really crazy with that. You can be really promiscuous, um, just literally out of control. Like like a lot of people think you're really fun to be with, but it's never the people that are close to you always other people go, whoa, look at this guy, he's the life of the party, he's this and that. But like your wife and really close friends are going, oh, he's just playing the ass when he's like this. So that's it. In between the depressions and the mania, you'd have like long periods of of just normality. Um, But now I've been so well medicated now for about four years probably, I don't have any of that. I get, you know, I might go down a little bit from time to time, but not badly. And I, I haven't had a manic episode now for four years or so because I've been just really well medicated for it. Mm. I've got to say I don't, after having a lot of them, I don't miss them in the, in the slightest.
1: Dave, what did, what did the downs look like when, when you were at your sort of peak of the illness? Uh,
0: like anybody experiencing a savage depression, um, just bleakness, no um, uh, no joy in life. Um, really, it, it always amazes me for, for mental illnesses. Um, but they often show themselves with such physical side effects. And like depression, I always thought of trying to do anything was like walking through wet cement. you know? Like if I got up and most days you'd wake up and you go, I just want to pull the Duna back over my head and just go stay in bed till I get over this. But I didn't. You'd go off to work, but simply getting out of bed, getting to the bathroom for a shower, getting to the train station, getting to work, it was like the equivalent of scaling Mount Everest. You just you'd be absolutely exhausted. That's why i um I always say like if people go um If anybody ever says to you, you know, if somebody's experiencing a really bad depression, it doesn't make that person weak because in actual fact, the hell they go through to keep living their life and doing normal things if they can, and there's a lot of people that can't, that just simply have to go, I can't get out of bed. But for those who've managed to get to work, hold down a job and all of that, that's incredible strength for people to do that. And yet people go, oh, people with mental illnesses are weak but it's not true at all. It's, it's the exact opposite. Mm, it's very much
1: resilient in the, in the true form in many ways.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Actually it is, mate. It, 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 that's very true. And a lot of people don't see that for themselves. They go, you know, I'm really weak. Uh, I've got bad anxiety or depression. So I'm obviously weak compared to other people. And you're so true. It's actually resilience that they, they fight those things and come through it. And that, don't get me wrong, that's not a show of anybody, like the tragedy that, you know, suicide is, you know, people that that take their own lives. I'm not... But for a lot of people that just fight through, get through those things, that's... Yeah, you're right. It's just a big mark of, of resilience. Is there
2: any one particular period Dave that you remember um really just struggling to d- do anything and-
0: yeah uh, yeah I do Maddie um we did uh, and this was just before I got diagnosed but um I've got two daughters who are now like adults and um but we did the classic um let's go to uh Disneyland holiday and um and we went off and I just remember, I've never been so depressed in all my life. Like I was supposed to be on holiday. I even look at the photos from those times now, and I could just, your eyes are sort of like, they're dead, you know, and we went over and I just like, I fought through it. Like I didn't want the kids to go, oh God, you yeah, know what's dead. So, you know, you, you sort of get up and you go with the flow. But when I got back, I just went back to work and one, one, literally one night I was walking from work to go back to the train station and I saw um, a high-rise lobby and it just had what looked like a really comfy lounge in it. And I just walked in and I thought, I'm just going to sit down for a few minutes. And it was like my batteries ran out. I felt like that's it. i got no more energy. I can't do anything. And I read. I sat there for about half an hour before I got up and went home. And I thought I've got to do so. I physically can't live like this. Um, uh, and I went to a really good GP that we've got, and she went, "Whoa! I'm going to send you off to see a psychiatrist because this is a bit beyond my expertise, and I think you're at a point where you really need some some high level help." If you could describe what that, so
1: we sort of you've described what it sort of feels like, and at mm-hmm. the moment. In time, how would you explain that visually to somebody if somebody was because you often hear um, I know when I speak to people, people will describe
0: it as as the black hole. How would you describe um, it? Just trying to because that, that is an automatic um, and it, I it sounds like a cliche, but it's not because I think that's how I most feel when they get really, really, really down. Okay, my God, this I, I'm just in a big pit um it's I think your whole life just seems colored you live you live for sleep you know like um, uh, you're always you're always like just busting to, to have sleep because often you're not sleeping and then you're sleeping when you shouldn't be but in this it, in describing, it, it's really hard not to say it, it is ba- I, um Sir so Winston Churchill, yeah, the Prime Minister of England during the Second World War, he he came up with the nickname the Black Dog for depression, because he's he he was clinically depressive, like, and yet he achieved amazing things. But he nicknamed his depression the Black Dog because he said it seemed to follow him wherever he went, like a loyal like a loyal pest. Um, and I always thought that's clever, but it's really hard to find anything more than you know black, um, grey clouds over your life all the time. Yeah, there's nothing. Just there's just nothing when people are, are really badly depressed. There's nothing that brings joy to them.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 so interesting because when someone's in that in that zone, you know, people, I think. I've been told that it feels like the wall is shifting in um, or their, their, their actual spatial awareness is is shrinking and they feel so claustrophobic in their own mind and their own body that it just shuts down.
0: That's, actually, that's a really, that's very interesting insight because I know your, your world does seem to shrink. I think because you, your world shrinks, it becomes your bedroom um, I had, not so long ago, I had a reasonably bad depression, um, but not nothing like I used to as a young guy and I rang um, my psychiatrist and I said, Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is what's happening. And he said, Oh, you better come in and we'll, you know, we'll have a look at your medication and see what we can do. And my wife was out, so I didn't have a car. We've only got the one car between us. So I walked up to the station and it's about a 10 minute walk. I swear that walk probably took me 30 minutes. I felt like it about 98 years old. But to your point, the world moving in on itself, it's a very, because all of you are living in really is your bedroom or slumped on your lounge. Um, you're, not, you're not out and about. And people say, well, exercise is great for mental illness. It's great for good mental health, it's really good for your resilience, but it's very hard when you're really down to go, oh, well, I'll just go for a run around block or whatever. It's just yeah. more possible to get out and do that sort of stuff. So, mate, I, I'm going to steal that and use that in one of my blogs because I think that's a really apt way of looking at it. Mm,
1: feel free to take whatever you want. It's probably the, one, <laughs> the 1% you're going to get from me. <laughs> is is there – I'm always interested in in sort of – I'm interested in your view, Dave, on the, the, first of all, the relationship between uh, a manic episode or mania in general and the depressive episode, Um, do they, do they communicate with each other? Do they, do they have a relationship or or are they completely separate?
0: Um, That's a really good question. Um, I think they have a relationship more in, you might suffer from depression, and then so you're right down here. Yeah, well, get that hand right. And then you go up and you come up to normality. And you might go, whoa, whoa, and just sit there for months if you're lucky. And then you might take off. I think where they have a relationship is nearly always a manic episode finishes with depression. You don't, it's not like, it's not, you know, I was talking about taking off like a rocket before. If you had the analogy of you're in a, a plane and you took off, you know, whoa, I'm off on a manic high, you don't come back and have a safe landing. When your manic episode finishes, you crash land. You go boom and you plummet into depression. You never come back and go, oh, wow, now I feel normal. You feel normal after you've come out of the depression. So But does that make sense to you? The mania... You know when that's finished because you go. I feel like shit. You know this is crap. What happened to all the good times?
1: And and when you do, when you do make that drop, do you have the insight to retrospectively look back and go, this is what's happened?
0: Um, that's, that's another very good question. Not when I was young. I, I liken this to. Um, I do now, and I probably have for the last decade or so. But that's because I'm an old guy, and I've experienced it so much. I think it's a bit like um, driving a car. You know, you get a car, you go on your red peas. Somebody who's been driving for 10 years is going to be a better driver than you, no matter how good your instincts and stuff, because they just know things. You know, they go, I've got to be wary of this stop sign. Well, that car doesn't look like it's going to stop. And I think it's the same with mental health issues. You, The older you get with them, the more you can see them coming. I can sense um, if I'm getting out of tune, you know, if I'm am getting a bit down and I can sense that coming before I let myself get really down and I can talk to my doctor and go, right, you know, and he'll go, oh, okay, well, we're going to change this drug or that or whatever or... We're just going to watch it for a week or so. Um, so I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for, that's one of the benefits of getting old is the fact you can see them coming. Um, I used to be able to see, uh, or you could, I couldn't see them coming. I could feel a manic episode coming on and I would just have to bombard myself with particular drugs just to knock myself. and I might sleep for three days, but it would stop the manic episode happening. But I got used to that. I, actually, I this there's a funny... Last year I was down in Canberra. I spent a lot of um, Mental Health Month in Canberra talking to different government departments for the Black Dog Institute. And I did a big talk and always at the end of the talks, there's a few people that will hang around. Yeah, there'll be questions and all that, but there'll always be a few people that hang around because they want to talk privately to you. Mm. And there was a young woman, she would have been about... Ah, I don't know, twenty-eight, something like that. Really tiny little girl, and she came up to me at the end, and she said, um, "She said I've been diagnosed bipolar one this year." I went, "Oh, okay, you know." And, um, and she said to me, "She said, do you know what the best part? The what the one part I really loved of your talk." I said, "No, what was that?" She said, "You're so old." And what she actually meant was, and I said, "You mean I'm still here?" And she went, yeah, yeah. And what she was... Because what she was going through was that year she'd been diagnosed with bipolar 1, she'd been married the year before, they just got a mortgage, and I think that poor kid was going, this is my life. This is a template for my life forevermore now. I'm going through shit. My husband doesn't really understand it, which, you know, nobody would at that age. And, um, And I think she was going... Christ, like, whoa, I, I've just got a lifetime of this. And and then and I, I don't mean this to sound egotistic, but then she saw somebody who went, Oh my god, they're up talking about it, making jokes, laughing, they seem really normal. And when she said to her, I said, Oh, that's the nice thing I've ever heard, she said, You're so old and that's exactly what she meant. I said I I said to her about well, just to me, I said, you you get the hang of it. You get more, the longer you go, the more you understand it, the more you can see it coming, the more your husband will understand it. You know, like it's it's just like anything. You just experience it. And the more you experience, the better off you are. Mm. The compliment I've ever had, you're so old.
2: What other kinds of feedback have you got from people after talks?
0: Uh, you'll often get... Um, uh, you have, I, I've had people just sit and cry through talks um, because they lost loved ones to suicide. Um, and you're always, like, you're, you know, if somebody's in a bad way, you're always, like, trying to discreetly chat to them. It's hard when you're in a big room, you know, and there's a lot of people. Um, but a lot of people will just sit and bear that because they like to learn more. Um, uh well you get a lot of nice feedback from people but you get a lot of the beauty of it is when you talk to people and you talk openly and and you sort of do it in an entertaining and engaging way rather than a scary sort of fashion is that it makes it really easier for people to talk to and you get a lot of feedback like my son's experiencing this or my partner or whatever or we've lived with this or, you know, who should, what should I do? And don't get me wrong, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. All I've, My own experience is lived experience. But I can often point people in the right direction and go, oh, you should be talking to someone at the Black Dog Institute or you should be thinking, you know, talking to a GP or whatever. But I get a lot of that sort of feedback where you just sort of, you realise you've opened doors for people and they go, whoa, okay, like that um, it just makes it easier for them, I think, to recognise things and to also feel like you don't have to be embarrassed to talk about them.
2: Mm. Bloody powerful work that you're doing,
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's not brain surgery, it's just talking, and the more you more people talk, I think, the more people go, hey, they're fairly normal people. Talking about these things, they're not like three-headed monsters or anything. They go, you know, so, yeah, thanks. It's That's lovely to say. But you just, honestly, you just, everybody has got something in their life. Everybody's got something that they deal with or whatever. And I think it's just nice when people can, put their hands up and talk about them because it just makes it everybody easier who's in that same boat to be able to go, Oh, it's all right. It's okay. I can, I can, and it doesn't have to be mental health. Yeah. I I think
1: there's like an element of that, that you, you can live, you can live in this world and be experiencing extreme pain and extreme highs and you can still exist and you can still, you know, be a functioning human being. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. I've been actually really fortunate because I've got a really debilitating mental health issue, but I'm always aware too that I've had a life where I've been reasonably well paid. Um, uh, I've been very fortunate. You know, I could afford to pay for good health. I've been lived in a city where you can access all of that.
2: Well, even like people in um, developing countries... When there's no real mental health care system, they've got that ton- kind of diagnosis. It's like, how? Where would they turn to? You know,
0: it's a really good question. But I, I think, well, rural Australia, you know, it can be really tough yeah. for there. Like, you live in a small, small country town, and you have to travel five hours to Dubbo or whatever, yeah. where the services are. And there's only a psychologist in once a fortnight or whatever and he constantly booked out or she's just not available. That's really, really hard. Like Mm. I'm always, I never want to try and portray like mental health issues like, oh, well, it's just so easy. You go and see your doctor. But it's funny what what you said, Maddie, about um, a lot of, Developing that, a lot of like, what they used to call third world bases and stuff actually have less mental health issues. Like they find, find satisfaction and joy in pretty small, simple things, whereas often we in the West tend to forget about that and you operate from a point of view of looking at what's wrong. If only I had more money or if only I didn't have to work so hard or if only I had a job, you know, whereas people in um, not as developed countries go, well, oh, I'm really grateful for being alive, for having a family, for having this, for that. Whereas we all go, or well, not all of us, but a lot, a lot go, I haven't got a fancy car. I really, I really... Yeah.
2: that constant wanting with capitalism... There's always something
0: else. The whole basis of capitalism is life's never good enough.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: It's not going to be as good until you've got that iPhone 25, you know, this or that. There's something missing. There's a hole in your life.
2: Mm. There's some kind of void that you could be filling.
0: Yeah. Mm. And then people go and devote their lives to making as much money as they can saying, buy all this useless shit. Mm. And i I shouldn't talk about. It. I mean, that's the one strange thing I always found because I worked in an industry that sold Oof. it to people, you know, BMWs and stuff. But I, I never, I, I always led a life. I'm not saying I live like Mahatma Gandhi, but never had fancy cars or anything like that. Because I just went, it's just a waste of money. You can work your butt off to to buy this car. It's not going to make you any better, you know, like, and it's quite honestly it's really sad if you think it does make you better because it doesn't matter if you catch the bus to work or you drive a Porsche, it doesn't make difference as to what you are or who you are.
2: Yeah. And then you then you start questioning, like, because I've also been down that part, a very similar path um, of thinking, and then I start thinking, okay, well, Then, okay, the car doesn't mean anything. Okay, the house doesn't mean anything. As long as I have somewhere to live, well, then what's the point of a high-paying job? You know, if I'm going to be sitting at a desk all day anyway, what's the point? Yeah. (laughs) It just keeps going, yeah.
0: I I read a book years and years ago, and while I didn't fully subscribe, but it was a great book called Your Money or Your Life.
2: Hmm. And
0: and basically it said, if you work how, how much of your life you devote to earning an income, and it wasn't saying you shouldn't earn an income, but, and then you work out what you spend it on, you can go, well, I'm going to be working for the rest of my life to do that. And and basically it was saying be careful of the things that you desire and want and go after and go after the really important things in your life that genuinely make you happier. Yeah. But if driving a 10-year-old car um, allows you to do other things, do it. Don't feel like you've got to have a brand new car or, or you know, that, and I remember reading it and going, this is just so, hey, it's getting really deep now, but I think people, we, if we were less consumer driven, we'd have a lot healthier planet. You know, um, there's just so much, and we'd be a lot happier ourselves just going, if you didn't feel like I've got to get up, got to go to work, got to earn all that money to buy that stuff. But I'm gonna throw out to
2: get that mortgage.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. you know. Actually I Well I you like, worked
2: in you worked in the industry of selling, selling the the stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Selling the I, fake I, dreams, yeah.
0: Yeah, I I I'm going to hell, Matty. <laughs> yeah.
2: No, but you know it. Well you know it from both sides.
0: Well about a year ago I got a long term writing contract i worked for a company that raised um they were like a marketing company that raised, fundraisers for so if for example a children's hospital wanted to raise half a million dollars for new equipment they go to this company and they do all the advertising for it but i loved it i felt like i was redeeming my life because suddenly you were doing something i was using all my skills to do something that was actually doing good i wasn't selling Another packet of Cornflakes or another BMW. I was actually doing something to try and raise funds to make buy equipment to help kids and stuff. And the difference I felt every night you'd walk out, yeah, wow, I did something really good today. It was amazing, but probably didn't compensate for thirty-five years selling advertising stuff.
1: So, Dave, as, as we as I'm as I'm listening to all this, um, I'm thinking I'm thinking what. What is the point of being here? What is the point of being alive when all these sort of consumerism, especially the Western cultures, um, what what's the point then? How how do we how do, how do we keep going?
0: Oh man, I think, um, but I but I, I honestly, Jason, I I really do fundamentally believe that life's really good. Hmm. Life's life is like you know it's fun. It's it's about. Your family and your friends, and you know, it's about all that sort of stuff. All, all that stuff um, that you can sense and you can feel. You know, it's not. It's not about the having. It's it, well, it is about the having. But it's having great family, great friends, feeling like you know you're at, at peace with things. Yeah, it's it's great. It's just you don't you don't want to, you don't want to sacrifice all that part of your life. For pursuing something that you don't really need, but I, you know, and I'd say to any, you know, especially kids who genuinely go, "What's the point?" You know, you go, "No, no, no." You got like it's as a sixty-three-year-old guy to, you know, and I actually I think it gets nicer as you get older in a way. You get less less stuff to hassle you, less worries and stuff, and you just go, "Oh yeah." I mean, I get amazing joy out of taking my bloody Nine-month-old puppy for a walk, you know. I don't. That's brilliant, brilliant fun for me. Or or seeing friends, you know, just catching up with really good friends, and you don't have to go to flash restaurants or anything. Just it's the companionship,
2: the relationships.
0: So what if,
1: what if, what if you can't? What if people haven't got access to, to these reasons to live? I suppose.
0: Um that if you're talking like hopelessness a sense of hopelessness and nothing to live for um i I honestly think in the vast majority of cases the, there are things to live for but there's often times when people feel like there is nothing and you know it's where you hear people uh are suicidal and I hate hearing people say, "Oh, suicide's a selfish thing," because I don't think anybody takes us to hurt all the people they leave behind, even though they unwittingly do. But um, people go through that hopelessness that sense of that they're, they're, you know, this is the only way to get out of this, or I'm doing, I'm doing friends and family, um, I'm unburdening them, you know, of of me being here. You know, it's. Um, but I honestly think that's mental illness, bad mental illness, but there's always the hope. Well, I'll say this. There's a great, I don't know if you've ever said there's a video, uh, it's a documentary called, um, it'll come to me, but it's all about a guy who survived um, trying to take his life by throwing himself off the um, Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And nobody survives going off the Golden Gate. The The fall is incredible. Um, and if that doesn't kill them, they say the tides, the currents run so quickly under the Golden Gate Bridge going out to sea um, and back with the tides that you would only drown. And apparently a lot of people who go off the bridge, they don't find their bodies for weeks because they've been taken out to sea. This guy actually survived. And he said something, and he's done massive research, but... He said when he got to the point he was over the wrong side of the bridge, still holding onto the handrail, when he let go of the handrail, the first thing that went through his head was I didn't really want to do that. And I don't mean he was going, I'm looking for, you know, uh, sorrow from other people, but it just literally his brain went, shit, I didn't really want to do that. And There's so much research done with people who survive suicide attempts that many, many of them, I'm not saying all, some people go on and have many attempts and eventually take their lives. But many people go, I did it, and the first thing that went through my head was I didn't want to die once they've committed to it. Um, So in a very long-winded way, getting back to your question, but going, people... People, when they they feel a sense of hopelessness, there's nothing to live for. That's often illness talking for them. It's, it's the big black cloud, the hole that we were talking about earlier. But there always is a sense of hope. You know, you, nobody knows what tomorrow's going to bring, whether it be good or bad or whatever. Um, and even people who feel so hopeless... Um, you know, can can be offered hope and, and a, a chance to live and to get better, you know, to, mm. to literally fight their way out of those holes. I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not in any way um, making any um, criticism of people that do take their lives. I mean, must, the horror you must find yourself in to, to get to that point must be horrible. But people sense with a sense of hopelessness sometimes that sense of hopelessness six months later or with the right medication or the right doctors or whatever can actually go. Mm-hmm.
2: And how far into that sense of hopelessness did you get through your
0: illness? Uh, I've, I've had suicidal thinking, but I think, I, I was, I, well, I've always thought, maybe I'm completely wrong, but a lot of people think about it just even just in an intellectual way, I wonder what the world would be like without me. Yeah,
2: the curiosity,
0: yeah. Yeah, but I've never got... I've had times when I thought, ooh, it'd, it'd be a nice way to stop all the pain. Mm-hmm. But I've never thought seriously about it, never had a plan, never even went close to acting on it because well, I've got kids and I know... Uh, I, I know but if I was to ever do that, I know the impact and the odds for them uh, you know, sort of go through the roof or possibly them doing the same thing. So I've never got near it. But I, I honestly can say too even really, really dark times I think I've always sort of gone, Yeah, shit, you get through it. And that's that's my point going back to being old and experienced old. <laughs> Yeah, honestly. I'm not I'm not trying to make that sound fake, but yeah. Suffered from depression badly through your twenties, you know. And if 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 it were an ongoing thing, but you're in your forties, you go, "I've been here. I know." Even when things seem really, really hopeless, very horrid, that it will. It'll be better. There's another side to this, and I'm going to pop out of it at some stage. And you know, that's hard. That's hard for many people to believe when they first experience mental health issues, like, yeah, this is shit, this is going to be the rest of my life, but it's not It's not a life sentence. It never has to be. And for a lot of people, they, they have one episode of anxiety disorder or depression or whatever, and they never have one again. But I think getting through that first time, especially if you're younger, can be really hard.
1: So, so Dave, is it in the, the fact that it's very familiar over a long period of time, that it makes it, easier or, or, or more manageable if it's almost, especially with something like the the cycle of manic depression. Yeah. Is it the more it occurs, the more you become familiar and almost not, not more accepting of it, but it's almost, you know, it's, it's, it's almost as though it's there, you know, it and in some ways you you can be kind to it because you've been there.
0: Yeah, that's again. That's a really interesting insight. It sort of be, well, I think too. When you've got something that you live with, you get. I, I like that thought of being kind to it because you sort of go, well, it's me, you know. Like how to differentiate it, um, but yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot easier, as you say, if it it if it's with you reasonably constantly, um, you get so used to it. I think if, if you had a, you know, a depressive episode when you're 25 and then you you were fine and then you had a really bad run in when you are 40, it would be a lot harder to go, oh, well, I know what this is like because, you know, remembering 15 years back that when there's a constant to, to things, you go, oh, all right, okay, I know what, you know, but... The, what, what I like is that I can say with all honesty to people who are suffering from depressions and stuff like that, going, you do get through it, you know, yeah. you, you do, you honestly do get through it, you know, um, and it's, it's worth it hanging in there.
2: I think that's a um, beautiful message to end on, Dave. Sure, um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Not at all, Maddie. Jace, think, thanks very much for having me, guys.
2: Yeah, I think you've been wonderful, and we do have one tiny question that we often ask guests right at yeah. the end. Go ahead. Um, bit of a, a, a bit Just of a, a fun one. one, or you, well, you can take it wherever you like. You could take it fun, okay. or you could take it dark, or you could take it weird, whatever. We'll see. <laughs> but, God, you got um, right here,
0: if, if
2: you had if you had one hour left yeah. to live. So, so nine PM tonight. That's
0: mm-hmm. it.
2: That's it. How? Where would you go to when you finish this podcast?
0: Um, I'll, I go out to my lounge room where my wife is. Who've got? We've known each other for about forty-four years. Um, uh, I think have a glass of wine with her. I ring. I've got one daughter on holidays up at um, up near Byron at the moment. Have to ring her. I wouldn't have time to get over to my other daughter, so I'd ring her. Um, probably have a bit of a cuddle with my dog, and then I think that'd be it. Have another glass of wine, <laughs> <laughs> and and curse you two for going. Oh my god! Really they wasted from.
2: my second well, last
0: hour. Why did I spend the last hour talking to those idiots? <laughs>
2: <laughs> We'd be like, ha. <laughs>
0: Yeah. I, I hope you don't know something that I don't. No. <laughs> what, what would
1: you What would you say to your daughters? What would you say
0: to your? I'd say these these two bloody people have told me I mean, <laughs> and um, oh, I think you just you know, it's you always hear that you know love you um, I don't know it's, that's really hard but you yeah. you love them they're great people um you know and they'll do well but but then i'd have to hang out really quickly because i'd have to have special time to spend with my dog you know and and give because he'd be the main person i'd have to spend the most time with and he'd be absolutely yeah beside himself when i was yeah do you you know how i'm actually going
2: i haven't decided that is
0: Is it a a playing our land on my house or is it just going to be simple and sweet and
2: what do you reckon, Jason?
0: Oh, gee. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. I was thinking sort of some sort
1: of house fire or... But <laughs> uh, so that's a bit morbid.
0: Thanks, Jason. I
2: mean, we are talking to a co-host from the police. So. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah that Go wouldn't ahead. burn at all, would it, mate? Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, n- nothing like burning to death. That'd be horrible. All
2: right. <laughs> now we're going into... Um, interesting territory (laughs) um yeah but no seriously thank you for coming all. yeah i think yeah you spoke so beautifully and i think people are really going to benefit from your experience yeah
0: listen guys let me say like it's really great like i know you two both do really serious work and um, and it's great that you devote time to these sort of things it really is
2: Oh, thank you. Yeah,
0: you're I doing think,
2: brilliant stuff. Uh, no, I think it's it's not about us, but you know the fact that you're you're some random stranger that I contacted on LinkedIn and you're like, "Yep, I'll come on your podcast." I think that that says a lot about you and, um, you know who it's, you are.
0: It's been a delight. Yeah. Even, look, I'm going to go because I've only got now. <laughs> Oh, 49 50, minutes. 49 minutes to go. No, no, you got
1: 52 according to my clock.
0: So what and happens? I, yeah. You know what happens, Jason? I go out, I'm going to go, so I might as well have a cigarette. Uh, Ash falls off my cigarette, starts the fire, and then I go, oh, my God, I could have avoided this all along, but now. That's Be it. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly well, that would happen. Just... <laughs> Be pretty cautious for the next fifty minutes. <laughs> we, 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 we might even we check in with you in fifty
0: I'm, minutes. I'm going straight to bed.
2: Thank you so right. much. Yeah. Well, you're wonderful, and and have a good hour. <laughs> no, Thanks. I'm Thanks,
0: Ben.
1: You guys have great lives. I'll have a great hour. Just, just, All check, right, the guys. House. just ha- check the house for any
0: you know hazards <laughs> or anything. Gas. I'm, check the I'm, gas. I'll go outside, then a gum tree will fall on me. Oh, God, i um... <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. All right. You, Have a good mate. night. Bye. All right, see ya.
2: That was Making Sense of Chaos.
1: A podcast about death, dying, love, grief and hope.
2: Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.